Hello and welcome to the Real Heroes of E-Commerce. I'm your host, Jason, and this is the next episode in our holiday series, Jingle All the Way. Today's episode is quite something. We are talking with John Ivanko, and it is about zero-party data. At least that's where it starts. More broadly, it is about understanding what data is to us in e-commerce and how to realign it so it works with our marketing goals. Not everyone's going to agree with what he has to say, but even the detractors are going to want to take note. So I hope you enjoy, and as soon as you finish, we want to hear your thoughts about it. Head over to The Real Heroes e-commerce on Substack, and let's keep the conversation going. Okay, let's get to it. Okay, John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so before we get into it, let's uh, hear a little bit about your background and what you do. My background's kind of crazy. Started in marketing back in the day and went to law school, came back to the Bay, worked for a bunch of startups, and happened myself into working uh, as director of marketing for a company called LifeX, which was a DSC company originally uh, that did a Kickstarter back in the day. And uh, they would go on to be a consumer products company with a bunch of partners, including Apple, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, etc. So I ran their marketing for three and a half years and customer support until they got sold. And I uh, went back to consulting and then started to start my our new company, Form Toro, a couple of years back to solve all the problems that I faced while I was running marketing. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So Form Toro, what problem is that solving? So we like to guess as marketers and think we're super smart and creative mm -hmm. and we're very bad at looking at data. So um, in one of my last consulting engagements prior to starting, we were launching a product and we were running uh, ads to a landing page, to a sign up, to sending out a survey, to collecting data about people to understand product positioning. And we realized that the largest drop off happened between someone signing up and opening their first email. So our cost to collect an email address, which were reasonable, all of a sudden spiked when an email had data or some value attached to it, some context for why they signed up. So we kind of got started and said, hey, what if we could solve that gap? What if we could just collect data on the fly after they give us an email and ask questions relevant to why they signed up, what they're looking for, what they're interested in, and would that change our opinion of how to build a marketing strategy? and what ads to make and, you know, what content to put on a website. And the answer was 100%. Um, so we set out to change that via newer technology and, and leveraging to solve for that gap, that fall off. Mm -hmm. When you're solving for that gap, you call it zero-party data. Yeah. So what exactly is that and what, how does it compare to third-party, first-party data? So third-party data is the data that you use using another service like Facebook's Whoever Facebook is showing their stuff to you, that's third-party data that's aggregated on like a walled garden that's, that you you have access to via platform, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, Second-party data is data that you technically purchase from other people and that you're reusing. Check your laws on that when things are changing around that. First-party data is basically anything that's tracked behavior-wise on your website, which is kind of why first-party data and zero-party data are usually interlinked a little bit or sometimes used. The mm -hmm. differentiation is zero-party data is actually information that's provided directly to you by the by the customer, visitor, et cetera. So that could be an email during sign-up, um, an address during an order. That's, that's all zero-party data. Okay, so what they do on your website passively is more first-party data. What they actively give you and type in intentionally would be zero-party data. 
Yeah, we can call it consent-based data providing, right? Like, so you're you're acknowledging that you're providing data to someone specifically for a reason. So why is that consent-based zero-party data useful? Oh, God, the privacy changes that are going on. Um, what we found is that customer research is an underrated portion of business that everyone should be doing on a constant basis. And we're not very good at it. Marketers hate getting on the phones, talking to people. Uh, salespeople read from the same script. Um, customer support people hate the phone in general. So we have a situation where no one really wants to interact with customers and they're the ones that are driving businesses forward. So for all our introverted types, including zero-party data collection as part of your, your customer journey, takes a little heat off those people that don't want to make those phone calls. Um, I'm not saying that they shouldn't make the phone calls. I'm just saying it gives them an easy outlet to ask some questions and grab some feedback at a point of intention that a lot of people are likely to fill out. When people get to a website in e-com and they're filling out their email for a 20% off discount code, that's about 10% of the people that visit the site on any given day that aren't signed up. I mean, that's a pretty good amount of people. Um, and leveraging that more so than that convert, you get 2% of people to convert if you're doing okay, right? Mm -hmm. um, so when you look at that, leveraging that intent point becomes the perfect time to ask a couple of questions relevant to the journey and do a little bit of a spot check as to why people are there. Okay, so this, what you're doing is collecting the data as soon as they are on that pop-up form, giving their email address. Yeah, I mean, when you're exchanging, uh, most people only sign up for a discount. Let's be right. honest, that, that's what the behavior is, right? So if there's a discount or an offer that's provided, they decide to sign up. They're already committed to doing that. At that point, anything that they provide extra, they're using to improve their own experience. Mm -hmm. Give us a rundown of kind of how that looks like in terms of like how many questions and what types of questions. Completely depends on the client and kind of what they're going after. Um, I want, there's a big difference to cover first, though. It's pre-intent, intent, and post-intent data and there's a huge difference and i think a lot of people don't fully understand this because there was like oh zero party data that means quizzes right mm -hmm. or it means you know collecting data post purchase right yes technically it's different though um, because the intent is different between those so if you do a quiz you're pre-intent of understanding what you want to buy uh, so you'll go through a quiz multiple times and the data all of a sudden doesn't become as clean when mm -hmm. you fill out something post intent or post purchase you're getting a subset of a subset that actually purchased, which is good data. Don't get me wrong, but it's just so small that you'd have to have a lot of sales to be able to do something with that at scale. And someone's already made the decision to purchase and 80% of people never purchase again. So are you collecting data from people that are never going to purchase again? Or are you collecting people from that are going to purchase again? You're just not sure. Um, so the focus that, that, or the approach that we've taken is intent-based data, right? When you're deciding to sign up and exchange for a discount with the thought process that that's a discount that you want to use. That's about mm -hmm. as high as it comes. Um, and the type of questions that we ask, what category are you interested? What matters to you in the, about the product, uh, that you're buying, whether it's a service or an actual physical good, you know, what, what matters to you in that? How often do you do that activity that involves that? Or how often do you 
um, participate in an activity that would include that? What activities do you do or are you planning to do with that item? Um, and then when are you looking to purchase? That's always the last question that we ask. We have some clients that have um, series that go on seven questions because they're logic mapped down into specific things based on the answers that they have and people still get through them. We have some people that do four quick questions and it's just meant to broadly bucket people. It, mm -hmm. it just depends on kind of the client and, and what their goals are. Right on. Once you collect that, um, you get it into your database. What kind of database does that look like? So we push all the information actually directly into Klaviyo um, or your ESP. We integrate with ListTrack, Drip, um, and then through Zapier, we can push data just about anywhere people want it. Um, we look at data in aggregate in order to understand trends. We don't think that individual data points are all that important, but in aggregate, the trends really make sense. So if you're looking across a brand and you're seeing certain patterns show up within the data, for instance, everyone cares about one specific product, yet you're spending R&D money on developing other products that no one cares about might be a mismatch there in your R&D budget. Um, if you are asking a question specifically about a product, like there's a couple of products that we have that have a specific material that they use um, and people aren't aware of what that material is. And a lot of people say, I don't know what that is, or I don't own any of that. All of a sudden it becomes an opportunity to educate and expand on that and to figure mm -hmm. out where that gap is. Uh, and we find that a lot in D to C companies. A lot of people are doing stuff that's slightly differentiated and people not might not have exposure to it. So we're able to uncover these things and then say, Hey guys, you know, a, you know what it is because you're making it and you think it's really cool, but a lot of people aren't fully aware of what it is. So how are we portraying this in the customer journey? Does this exist on the product pages? Is there a landing page dedicated to it? Are we doing a call out and ads? You know, what are we doing to make things more comfortable for people to understand what we do and how we do it? Well, one thing that we see often with people who are collecting data is that they're collecting data for the sake of collecting data because people tell them that they should collect more data. Yes. Okay, so um, there's a, there's questions people should never ask. When's your birth date? Don't ask that question. What's your first name? Don't ask that question either. Get all that stuff. You should never ask for a birth date unless you need to for like a 21 and over thing because it becomes a personally identifiable piece of information connected with an email address. And I think this is where people get a little bit crazy. PII is something everyone's going to have to pay attention to in the very near future as more and more states kind of roll out privacy regulations. What is PII? Personally identifiable information. Okay. So in this rush to collect as much data as possible... People have no idea what they're collecting or what the ramifications of collecting it are. Mm -hmm. And the questions that always come up, I love it. Marketers always want to know demographics for some reason. Why? Even Facebook does it broad now. It's all about content. Like knowing your demographics doesn't make any sense because it's not like you can send out a message and say only target guys. I mean, the best you could do is a publication geared towards guys, but even those aren't a hundred percent guy readership. So like, We've, we've gotten to the point where we, we think that knowing our target demographic and our personas is going to work really well for us. And that's just not the case. I mean, we're more alike than I think people think. And I think everyone likes to laugh. They like to be entertained. And I mean, we see things kind of changing. Actually, I kind of wrote about this today, but I haven't really 
haven't gone crazy on it yet, but we're becoming audience-based. What do you mean by that? So if we were to launch a company today, Mm -hmm. right? Today, me and you were like, oh yeah, let's go launch a company. What are we making? Let's say we want to make bongos, right? For whatever reason, we want to make bongos. I'm down. So now we need to go sell our bongos to the world. How are we going to do that? We have zero audience built up. What are we going to do? Well, first off, we want to know if it's <laughs> male or female and their age. Are they 25 to 34? <laughs> 35 to 45? Actually, that shit doesn't matter. The only exactly. thing that matters for us is finding people with an audience that's relative to the products that we want to sell, whereby we can tap into their existing audience because we have none. Mm-hmm. We're headed into this new, you know, everyone talks about product market fit, right? Right. It's kind of, kind of bullshit, really. Like, if you think about it, like, you're just looking for the one person that needs your product. No, you want to look for the audience to present that product to, grab feedback on that, and then find more audiences like them from those people that purchase. We're actually not looking for product market fit. We're looking for audience market fit. And you're the first one I've talked to about this, like publicly, no one is talking about audience market fit at all. And it's the only thing that matters. It's like literally the only thing that matters. If you gave me an existing audience, even if it was from another brand that's, uh, that sold, uh, let's say they sold kazoos, right? There'd be a little bit of overlap within the music space for us to sell our bongos to. Mm-hmm. I want that audience. I don't want to know that they're guys and that they live in wherever. I want the audience that is already buying and listening to kazoos and like chime into that space. Where we're headed very rapidly is that most brands haven't quite figured out that all the money that they're spending on ads isn't really building an audience it's building that product market fit with specific people in order to get a transaction. Right. That's a one and done relationship. 80% of people never come back. And I I posted about this on LinkedIn actually today. I was like, more brands should nurture me into a partner environment and to their partners as soon as I make a purchase. Because to me, my relationship with that brand might end, but the value that brand can provide me to someone else partner meeting another brand could be another brand could be a service could be anything it just ends right like Mm -hmm. imagine for instance i was actually just browsing uh snowboard stores um imagine if i bought like a pair of gloves uh from a snowboard shop preparation for the season and then they sent me out uh, a deal that they had with uh, a ski resort where i was going to get a lift ticket for cheap or whatever based on my location like uh, i mean we watch like warren miller if you ever go see those videos they do it every winter where they always have deals when you sign up you pay like 20 bucks for it and then there's deals from all the brands that sponsor it to take advantage of and everything else like that kind of marketing hasn't gone away but we don't use it in the digital world nearly enough Mm -hmm. there was a a service that i saw a few years ago that tried to do that with partners partnering up email lists from different companies and what i saw was actually a bunch of brands just trying to jump on to anything there wasn't like okay lift tickets and snow gloves that goes together but it was just like i sell a mug and you know 
it's cold in the winter and they drink coffee, so I'm going to sell you a lift ticket. It was just too much wide because marketers kind of get in the way and trip each other up by flooding everything. Dojo Mojo was a service that was doing it with giveaways from competing brands while That's back. Co-op became Disco recently. They're trying to make something happen. Shout out to my friends at Hey Humming because they have a product that's trying to do like um, display ads on other people's websites for similar products that make sense within a network and kind of letting you grab some of that rev share. I think there's a lot of people that are trying to make that happen, Mm -hmm. but it's the wrong fit. Yeah, I don't go to a website or a brand to make that happen. I want to go want to go to places that talk about these things that I'm interested in and I mean we've lost it. I don't want to get too off track here cuz it goes into some stuff that we're doing behind the scenes but we have forgot what it's like to take a budget and build it into an asset. Instead, we're taking a budget and we're spending it on for a return. We're basically gambling. Mm-hmm. And, and this kind of ties back into zero party data because if you are just collecting emails and phone numbers and 50% of the people drop off at the phone number step anyway, what context do you have as to why someone signed up? You're literally just going to give them a whole bunch of shit that you have and say, I hope you buy from me. Right. That seems pretty much like gambling to me. Like, uh, I don't know, like spending money on ads, driving traffic, maybe, maybe someone purchased, maybe they don't. I don't know why they did. I don't know why they didn't. I don't know what trends I have as to why they signed up. That seems pretty insane to me. So the way that kind of we've tried to change strategy is that if you're going to give something, you should get something back for it. And right now, if you give a discount to collect an email, you don't get anything back other than a way to contact people and people unsubscribe and don't care and don't read them. So what's the point? The mindset being is, can you do a fair exchange of value so that you can at least gain some insights in order to be in a better place post sign up than you were pre sign up? Right. And right now, I think a lot of people aren't. A lot of people are going the, you know, email sign up rate and, but there's no context. For instance, if I go to a golf website and I sign up and I say, I'm interested in polishers, I play golf three times a week. Uh, You know, I, where do I play? I play at a, I play in a country club, right? You know, data points about me and you can reach out to me then if I make a purchase and say, Hey, you play with a lot of people. You play three times a week. We'd love to hook you up with a special discount. Do you know anyone that would really enjoy getting some product from us that we could also hook up? Like that's the network effect of having that information that you don't get currently by just having an email and a phone number. And the difference is treating everyone as a potential affiliate based on data points that you can glean about them versus treating everyone as a transaction and one and done. And maybe you bribe them to come back and purchase again. Mm-hmm. And network effects tell us, hey, maybe we should change the way that we're doing things like because prices are going up and to the right and it becomes really, really tough. Um, but I mean, how do you, this was in my LinkedIn post again today, how do you evangelize a group of people and pay them in a way that isn't tied to like shop credit? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you build them into that relationship? And we've done this with... Uh, we used to have two plans that we used to rock at LifeX back in the day. 
One was if you were of a certain caliber uh, amount of followers, you could get free product up to whatever that we decided was a nominal value. If you weren't and you were starting out as someone that was starting your YouTube channel back then, we couldn't hook you up, but we could give you like, we couldn't give you free product, but we could give you like a 50% discount code to to make a purchase and get your stuff out kitted and, you know, grow your career. Like it was the do it forward, still profitable for us. Like, let's go make stuff happen. Mm-hmm. Those kids that we worked with back in the day are now teaching classes in universities about how to be an influencer on YouTube. Like, and it was amazing to watch them kind of grow because, you know, the instant thing for everyone is say, no, everyone's looking for a free product. The other thing is it's a relationship building thing. And if you, if you think about it that way, we should treat customers the same way we treat potential micro influencers. If okay. someone is signing up, we should grab a couple of details about who they are. Maybe not their social handles because who cares, but find mm-hmm. out where they are. And after they purchase, follow up to such a point where, you know, you can connect the dots, close that loop and evangelize them to take over that, that the baton of, you know, marketing for you and pushing it forward. Could you imagine if you just stopped right now today and like our little bongo shop, we're going to beg, borrow, and steal. We get our first hundred sales, but we know that people play in bongo circles. We know that people play at some events professionally. We know that people are just people like playing by themselves in their home, right? Everyone that's in the bongo circle is about to be our best friend because they're playing or playing publicly is about to be our best friend because then we can help support them in that and get our name out through that and figure out channels to turn them into an affiliate to help us out if they enjoy the product. Right. Why are we not doing that right now? I like the idea, but I just know marketing and how it goes. Um, we go, the same as Dojo Mojo is everybody is just going to jump on that. And so kind of how I think of it is when you have a really good strategy and a really strong brand, you're going to make those, you're going to execute on that plan. You're going to have those partnerships. You're going to be able to build those micro influencers from your customers. Um, and they're going to be your best friends. They're going to evangelize. But I just see the uh, the train wreck, you know, in the distance that everyone's just going to run up to and just pile on. You're not giving away stuff for free. That's not what you're doing, right? You're you're working your levers and your union economics so that things make sense in comparison to your other marketing activities. I mean, if your CAC for a lot of companies is $60 plus and your cost of goods and AOV is, you know, barely $100 minus all the fees for shipping and everything else, I mean, you're, you're likely losing money on the first purchase. You have to start thinking about things that don't scale. I mean, I know people say do things that don't scale. I'm a big believer in that. You learn so much from that. What I'm trying to do is layer in layer in kind of like a litmus test on the people that are subscribing and purchasing. So you have a good idea of what trends surround them and mm-hmm. what things that you can do as a marketer to leverage that relationship in the appropriate way. I mean, that's, that's all marketing is leverage. Getting a product out there is leverage. The biggest companies in the world are, are pseudo monopolies at this point. Right. Yeah. They all got there through data. Google knows more, does better business than everyone else from a search engine perspective because of data. Facebook does better in advertising because of data. Like it's all data-based and there's all these little companies that collect zero data or data that absolutely doesn't matter. So why wouldn't you who's spending money on Facebook ads, Instagram ads, et cetera, 
double down, learn more about your customers and start working on what those direct relationships would be so you could move your ad spend from those networks directly into investing in your customer base and build massive followings that way and goodwill. I see that. I think you mentioned for of wealth, <laughs> the redistribution of the e-commerce. And it has yeah. to be done though, right? Like, cause what everyone would do, everyone like poo pooed iOS changes and they jumped on TikTok and are happy to spend money on TikTok. They didn't change everything. The money's not going back into customers' pockets. It's going directly into another ad network's pockets. The idea of evangelizing customers is basically dead. And it's dead because we got so lazy and we stopped asking questions and we stopped connecting with people in a meaningful way to bring them into a brand and make them feel like they're part of it. Mm -hmm. If anyone from Nike is listening to this, I want to just literally pick a color scheme and like a subsection of shoes and let's see what it sells. And let me just go share pictures of my colorway shoes all over social because I want to get them made and I need X amount of likes to get them made. Could you imagine it, what would happen overnight if you're able to go on Nike, pick your colorway, pick your shoe, and then it would let you automatically post a social from, uh, from the Nike website. And then it needs X amount of likes to get made and everyone's like unified in that. How crazy would that be? You've just evangelized a bunch of people to like crowdsource the production of a product. We don't do stuff like this. I don't know why we don't do stuff like this, but we should be doing stuff like this. Yeah. That takes a creative streak. I like it. Just, you got to figure out who your customers are. You really, really do. And you got to figure out those customers that are going to be the best fit for your brand and want to evangelize for your brand. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, you're just looking for the most amount of people that convert with a data pattern that matches that allows you at least a little bit of a window to go ask. If someone says they care about something specifically, right? And you follow up with that. Yeah, I care about this. How would that go for you? Oh, it was actually like better than I was expecting. Sweet. You know, do you have other people in your network that you think this would be a good fit for? Do they, do they face the same problem you have? Mm-hmm. Word of mouth marketing will always be the most profitable right. and the highest level of growth. But if people are talking about your product and you don't know about it, you don't know the reason why they bought your why they bought the product, you're kind of just guessing. But I mean, if a bunch of word of mouth marketing related to certain traits that existed that you were able to track via data, your own marketing would change to be more like that word of mouth marketing because it would be more relational to the people that are actually purchasing. Right. It's not rocket science. It's just a different way of looking at what growth looks like specifically across e-com. Mm-hmm. I mean, e-com, you're just looking for, I know everyone says, get your thousand raving fans that are going to go after you. No, get your product into thousands of hands as quickly as you can and understand your economic leverage behind that. If you're, like we said, if you've got like a $60 CAC and your cost of your goods, $10, Technically, you can give away five goods plus pay the shipping on that or work out some deal with that or four goods and the shipping on that and get it into four new hands, which is better than you could do only getting into one hand spending $60. It makes zero sense. Right. That's an interesting way to look at it. It's the only way to look at it. It's unit economics. You're going to blow some minds everywhere and at Nike. Well, the thing about it is... Like it's not 
marketing, especially at larger organizations, has become so formulaic. You go through a certain growth path, uh, process in order to get there, and you are not allowed to do new things. And you're not allowed to challenge existing expectations because that would be too much of a departure from the norm, which they know to work. So everyone's protective over profit without the idea of expanding. And one of our rules is really 60 20 20%. 60% is your baseline, keep it there. 20% operate off that baseline, look for improvements in that. The last 20% of any testing should be completely off the wall. You have no idea if it's going to work or not, but hell, let's let's run with it and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, we ran this test the other day. Instead of doing a sign up for 20% off from one specific ad set, we were running a deal where if someone signed up, provided information, they could unlock a deal that was unreal, that was only available to them through that pop-up. Mm-hmm. Did great. Like upwards of like 20% opt-in rate at different points in time, like double what our standard was. You know, it and Thoreau has checked out. Imagine that, like even with a lower, lower price point, because we were able to lower our costs of acquisition by so much, it actually became a profitable endeavor mm-hmm. and we got product into hands. That's what people are kind of missing. Everyone does stuff the same way. On the whole pop-up thing, your discount is the same no matter where you came from. That's silly. You shouldn't get the same pop-up form no matter where you came from. If you clicked on ad, you should get a different offer. You've already spent money on that person. Like if you go directly, maybe you shouldn't show them a pop-up. It's not really super needed. Maybe you should wait a little bit deeper in that journey. There's a whole bunch of ways to strategize how to do this correctly. Mm -hmm. Problem is we don't spend time on it because we view email as being a major driver. Email is not a major driver. You get the the automatic attribution in 30 days from a sign-up. Most people convert within 14. Who cares? You send out a campaign to 20,000 people, you might make some money on it, but what's your, your revenue per person is usually right around like 80 cents per person or something small like that, right? Like, come on, who are we trying to kid here? Like sort of hearty opted in intent-based audience. You send out, you spam your list enough. You're going to get some sales. People are going to get bothered and people are going to unsubscribe. That's the way it works. But if you can focus on cold traffic with some degree of an offer to get product in hand as much as possible. Your KPIs are bullshit. Your CAC doesn't matter. Your CPC doesn't matter. Your uh, ROAS doesn't matter. Your revenue doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it just doesn't matter because with one offer from a pop-up, I can change all of those numbers at will. Mm -hmm. Just put together an offer that is shown or not shown to people with some degree of something that gets someone to opt in. And then we see what happens. Like those numbers are all fudgeable very, very easily. And you can do it at scale and you can break all these numbers. A lot of, I want to see more marketers break these numbers because we all look at the same KPIs and they don't make any sense anymore. And we're not basing any of our decision-making on any bit of data, because if we did, we'd start to realize that all those numbers don't make any sense anymore and that they can be completely manipulated. Right. Higher conversion rate, lower your prices, throw a sale, send out an email on the same day. Like so many options. You want higher profit margins, raise your prices, see how that goes for you. Mm-hmm. Like there's all these little things to kind of tweak in order to build a business. You're just looking for balancing the levers to where it becomes sustainable. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Well, that was good. Thank you for uh, coming on.
Yeah, absolutely. And um, if someone wanted to get a hold of you, where should they look? I'm to formtoro.com. Uh, you can either click on contact us and schedule a time, or there's a form at the very bottom where we use our own tech where you can fill out your information and then schedule a time and give us some of that sweet zero party data so we know who you are. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks, Jason. All right. Let's continue the conversation together. I know that you'll have some opinions, ideas, and questions. So we set up a members only area just for that. Go to heroesofecommerce.substack.com and subscribe and join the after party. We'll see you next time.